coming as a baby and we're singing that angels are declaring the heavens and the wise men are following a star, which are all crazy things that happened, right? Which rightfully so. The, the God of the universe came down and was like a baby like this. That's just insanity, right? It's hard to believe that he would limit himself so much to be absolutely in need. She's going to be my little prop here. This is Jesus, right? No. Um, <laughs> um, the first time she was in a message, she'll look back every day <laughs> when she's older. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it, I mean, so much to do. We're thinking about that and Honestly, what Jesus came to do was destroy religion. What had happened was Israel was getting so religious. They were waiting for him. They were expecting him. There were so many prophecies about him. There was an expectation in their hearts, and everybody was saying, when's he going to come? When's he going to come? Um, but what they thought about him coming was totally different than how he came. And because of that, because they had gotten religious and, and really built so much around tradition and just, you know, like the Pharisees. Pharisees were the leaders of the leaders of the people of God. I and mean, we hear the word Pharisee and we always, it's just negative connotation. But they were like, in that day, they were the, the top of the top, the most studied, those that had given their lives to study the truth, to find out when the Christ was going to come, when the Savior was going to come. And yet they had gotten so far away from what God had designed in the beginning. And right now what we're sensing as a church community is that we are preparing for a move of god that's what we believe is happening we are preparing for a move of god and that is what christmas was they were preparing for the greatest move of god in that day jesus the second the the first coming of the savior of the world and they were preparing for that and who prepared that who prepared that way? John the Baptist. He prepared a way for Jesus to come into the earth. And oftentimes we think of Jesus coming into the earth and we think immediately into salvation, the cross, which is a huge moment in history. But really, he first came and confronted the religious spirit. <laughs> he confronted and exposed tradition. Um, and I, I was thinking about this like, I keep looking to the right side and there's nobody over there, but <laughs> it's like, I just need to angle this this way. Um, I, you know, I've been thinking about this as we're preparing for a move of God. What prevented them in that day was offense, a religious spirit, tradition. It got in the way of many receiving Jesus as Savior, even though that that was that the greatest time of history when God became man and walked in the earth. And yet many could not receive him because of this religious spirit. And I was thinking, are we ready? Are we ready for a move of God, like manifestations of the spirit of God like we've never seen before or experienced before? Or will we be offended just like they were in that day? And we don't want to be offended. 
We don't want to be offended when Jesus comes. We don't want to be offended when the Spirit of God is poured out in ways that we've never seen before, and it strikes us as, whoa, that's very supernatural. That's, you know, even the, the greatest of the religious of that day, the greatest of what, quote-unquote, the followers of God were, were all offended by that and didn't want it. And John had specifically come to prepare a way for that move. And just we're going to just go quickly through this. Like, what did it look like when John came? John prepared for the move of God. Um, and how did he come? He came fasting and praying. All right? So he was not eating. He was praying. He was in the wilderness. He was dressed in, in animal skins, eating locusts and honey. I mean, that's pretty wild. It was offensive to people. He was calling out sin from the highest of the highest officials to the religious to your everyday person. He was calling out sin from people. That's offensive to people, right? Even today, think of that happening. Someone coming up and just calling sin out. I mean, he called specific people's names and their sin out publicly and called them to repentance, and they was baptizing people. You know, we think of that, and because it's in the Bible, and because we know it was God, and God ordained it, it's way past that time, we're like, wow, John the Baptist was awesome. I don't know if I was there, and he was calling out my sin, if I would think he was that awesome. Or if I thought of him, this weird guy, just growing his hair out, wearing animal skins, and walking in the wilderness, calling out would i have thought that that was awesome and that he was not some crazy guy who knows you know that th that's reality john was rejected by many especially the religious those that were following god quote unquote to the t rejected him he was misunderstood he was seen and judged wrongly Yet, even though all that was happening, people were judging him, rejecting him, the religious were saying that he was crazy, but not too much because they didn't want to be rejected by people, yet he remained focused, and he was secure, and he kept plowing forward. He didn't care what people were saying about him. That was a marking, marking of someone who was preparing the way for God. If, if we're preparing for a move of God now, we have to come in that same attitude. You know what? We might be judged unrighteously by people. We might be rejected. Who cares? We have to be secure in who we are and what God has called us to do and move forward in that. And much of what John and Jesus did and said, just naturally it exposed a religious spirit which had fruit of offense that came from right, uh, unrighteous judgment. We're going to be looking in Matthew 11. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be in that chapter for uh, today. So what they were doing, just how they were speaking, how they were living, exposed the religious spirit. And what the fruit of that spirit is, is offense. An unrighteous judgment. So Matthew 11, verses 1 through 6. I'm going to hand her back because she did just wake up. And my, I, I won't lie, my arm's burning. <laughs> there we go. It was wonderful while it lasted. Matthew 11, verses 1 through 6. 
So Jesus had just finished speaking to his disciples, saying, if you want to follow me, you've got to lose your life. That's the only way. Lose your life and you'll find it. But if you're trying to find your life in this world, you're going to have to lose it. You're going to lose eternal life. Jesus was speaking very specifically and directly. And then he goes in, it says, when Jesus had finished his charge to his 12 disciples, he left there to teach and to preach in the Galilean cities. Now, when John, John the Baptist in prison, heard about the activities of Christ, he sent a message by his disciples. Now, he was in prison because he called out someone's sin that was in (laughs) government. Pretty intense, right? So they're going to behead him. Now, when John was in prison, heard about activities, he sent a message by his disciples, and he asked them, are you the one who was to come, or should we keep on expecting a different one? And Jesus replied to them, go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed by healing, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news, the gospel preached to them. And key verse here, verse 6, And blessed, happy, fortunate, and to be envied is he who takes no offense at me and finds no cause for stumbling in or through me and is not hindered from seeing the truth. This was after, okay, just imagine this. John the Baptist had baptized Jesus, right? What happened when Jesus got baptized? Anyone remember? God spoke audibly from heaven. And John was there, saw it. What did God say? This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And a dove descends on Jesus. John was there when that happened. And now he's at the end of his life. He's in prison in a really dark place. And he's all of a sudden wondering (laughs) after that happened, right? Can you imagine that? This man who had given his life to preparing the way for God, for for Jesus to come. And Jesus isn't mad at John. There's a a questioning, a wondering, a confirming. Jesus understood John's heart was in the right place. He wasn't in unbelief. He wasn't in doubt. He was wrestling in a moment at the end of his life. And Jesus in his mercy said, just tell John these things and it will confirm it to him. But then he turns to the ground and he crowd and he says, blessed and to be envied is he who takes no offense at me and finds no cause for stumbling in or through me and is not hindered from seeing the truth. Many, uh, what we're talking about today is some of the fruit of a religious spirit so that we can start to see any place in us that might need to be exposed by the truth. An offense is a fruit of the religious spirit, being offended, offended by the way that God moves, offended by another believer. And you know what offense is rooted in is unrighteous judgment. We're not able to see things rightly. We see things through the lens of religious spirit, just like the Pharisees did uh, with Jesus and with John. And it hinders us from seeing truth, just like he says, that you would take no offense to me and not be hindered from seeing the truth. Offense prevents us from actually seeing rightly. 
it's like a, a veil over our eyes. If we go on here, I want to just keep reading before I make a few other points about this. But from verse 7 to 11, Jesus turns, he's talking to the crowd, and he says, Then as these men, John's disciples, went on their way, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. And he said, What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? He's getting sarcastic here, okay? Jesus has some sarcasm. A reed swayed by the wind, what did you go out to see then? A man clothed in soft garments? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in the houses of kings. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and one out of the, who is more remarkable and superior to a prophet. This is the one of whom it is written, behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who shall make ready your way before you? Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there's not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And then down in 15, Jesus says, He who has ears to hear, let him be listening, and let him consider and comprehend by hearing. By what shall I liken this generation? It is like little children sitting in the marketplace who call to their playmates. They said, we piped to you playing the wedding, and you did not dance. You, we wailed dirges playing funeral, and you did not mourn and beat your breasts and weep aloud. For John came neither eating nor drinking with others, and they said, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking with others, and they say, behold, a glutton and a wine drinker and a friend of tax, collector, tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified and vindicated by her deeds or by her children, by the fruit. So Jesus is exposing this whole mindset that had caused the people to reject both John and Jesus because they were making unrighteous judgment. We know now because of scripture that John the Baptist, what Jesus says about him, he was Elijah to come. He was Elijah that had been prophesied. Elijah will come back before Jesus comes. Jesus says that was John the Baptist. So we know that. We accept it. We accept what he said. In that day, people were offended. They were making unrighteous judgment against both of them. John came fasting, and they said he had a demon, that he was demon-possessed because he wasn't eating. Pretty strong unrighteous judgment, right? I'm saying unrighteous judgment because the Bible does call us to make righteous judgment, where we're seeing rightly and we're, we're discerning rightly according to truth, but there is unrighteous judgment that comes from a religious spirit where the fruit of it is offense. We're offended by what's happening. We're offended by a move of God. Jesus came eating and drinking, drinking alcohol, by the way, that's why, not just drinking water. He came eating and drinking, and they said he was a sinner. Jesus, the perfect son of God, the creator of all things, comes into the world and they unrighteously judged him because he did not fit in their religious box or the idea that they had about him 
and they rejected him, they judged him, and they were offended by him. Even though he was doing signs, wonders, and miracles, they could not even receive it. The religious were so hardened and so barricaded against it that they were were offended by the miracles that he was doing. They were jealous and offended, and they were looking for ways to accuse him. Religiosity, this is key. Religiosity and the religious spirit is an observer, not a participator. If you come to a gathering and you're just here to observe and judge, or if we come, if that's, if that's part of who we are, we're just observing what's happening and we're making judgment on what's happening, that's the religious spirit. A child of God comes and we participate. <laughs> We stir up our spirit. We start to participate with the move of God. We get excited for what's happening. We link arms with it and we run. We're not just observers. We're participators. But the religious spirit comes in and it just observes. And that observing, I'm not saying observing is a sin. I'm saying a fruit of the religious spirit is observing where you place yourself outside of what God is doing to judge what God is doing which then produces judgment on other people that is unrighteous and then offense in our hearts toward people, toward the body. And this is exactly what happened in Jesus' day and it's happening today. It's happening still today. It's not like, oh, Jesus came so none of us have offense anymore. Jesus came so none of us judge unrighteously anymore. No, I, I've judged way unrighteously way too many times. It makes me sick to think about it. I've repented of those times. I've been convicted of those times. But how many times in my pride, in my spiritual arrogance, in my religious spirit, I judge something unrighteously, whether that was a root of jealousy or, or I didn't understand or I had become a, a, an observer in the moment, which helps me to, it just feeds that, let me judge what's happening in the room instead of participating in partnering with what God is doing. A religious spirit pretends like it's something it's not. It always has this facade, and that was me. I, I, I mean, I'm speaking about this because I was garbed. I walked in the religious spirit for so many years until God set me free from it, opened my eyes to see how, how much judgment, pride, arrogance, jealousy that I was functioning out of, offense, but, I mean, I've shared this story before when I was in New Hampshire and peop there was a move of God. People were falling on the floor, twitching and manifesting because of a move of the Spirit of God, and I was offended. And I stood out as an observer, and what did I do? I judged everybody. Oh, they're making a fool of themselves, and this is chaos, and oh, this, this is not God. This can't be God. It is confusion, and nobody, there's no order here. And I had all the religious dialogue that made me seem like I was right. But I was standing on the outside as an observer, checking everybody out and making unrighteous judgment. Makes me sick to even think about it today because it was so gross. And I was so blinded by it. <laughs> I was so deceived until I said, Lord, if this foolishness is true, you're going to have to make it happen to me because I will not believe it unless you knock me to the ground. I just, I can't. I can't believe this is from you. 
and he's faithful. He knocked me to the ground, and I became the most foolish of them all. And I'd be twitching and falling on the ground and shaking for over a year, over a year. And there were so many times that I was like, uh, you know, on the ground, feeling the presence of God, shaking and thinking to myself like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe I, I'm, I'm the one that everyone judged before. I am sure people are judging me right now because I knew it. I had been the judge and now I was the one flopping on the ground <laughs> like a crazy person and I knew that that was happening, but at that moment, you know what? I don't care. I had been set free from something and I said, you know what? I want, I want the move of God no matter what it looks like. I want him to move. I want to be open to that. A religious spirit pretends like it's something it's not. The coming move of God will be marked by authenticity, vulnerability, and freedom. Authenticity, we're being authentic with each other, being the real us, vulnerable, open about real stuff, stuff we're struggling with, stuff that we're, we're not okay with, our real thoughts and feelings. And then freedom from all sorts of things like anxiety or depression or uh, self-pity or the religious spirit will we'll have freedom from all these things. And that will result in deep, healthy relationships with one another. We'll see it happening, springing up within this church family when we start to go deep with one another. Everybody, all the people that are here and part of this community, that we start to connect in a deeper place, no secrets, no private lives anymore. Jesus came to shine a light into the hidden places of the heart, and that's where the religious spirit and offense was already there. And he just shone a light on it. And he doesn't expose it to make us feel like crap, okay? He doesn't do that. God is loving. He's exposing it so that we might be free if we say yes. He shines a light. When he was shining, when he put me to the ground and caused me to shake like a crazy person, he wasn't like, I've got you now, you little judger. <laughs> no, he was setting me free because he loved me. He loved me. He wanted me to experience that this was real and that I had come under something dark that wasn't of him and I'd become an observer that was just judging everyone around me. And that's not what he had for me. That wasn't real freedom. It was heaviness. And that's what the scripture's talking about when it says, you're like a generation that says, we played the dirge or the funeral song for you and you didn't mourn. Basically, you're not doing what you want us, we want you to do. We're playing the wedding song. You're not dancing. John the Baptist, they're talking about. He was fasting and praying, a life of self-denial. Well, we played the wedding song, you didn't dance. They were offended that he didn't play to their tune. And then Jesus comes eating and drinking. They said, we didn't play the dirge for you, the funeral song. And you didn't mourn with us. They were offended, but they were the ones that were out of step. They weren't the ones that were in step with the word. And they were saying to the point where they said John had a demon and Jesus was a sinner. I mean, that's crazy judgment for us looking back. But the fact is we make those judgments today. I've made them. We make those judgments against the body that are so gross. <laughs> and they're born out of the religious spirit, and it's not for us. There is freedom. I mean, just 
just for a few moments, let me just list some things that when Jesus came into the world from the beginning, he was offensive. Everything about Jesus was offensive to the onlooker. Think about it for a second. He was born to a virgin. All right, that's just a common thing that we all know, so we don't really think of the implications of what that could look like. Oh, yeah, the Holy Spirit impregnated you with the Son of God, and an angel told you, that sounds great. Yeah, you probably just slept with Joseph, and you guys got married real quick and are having a baby, right? He was born to a virgin, and how Mary's only 16 years old at the time. She's in her teens, Imagine that level of judgment. You can feel the eyes. You know, you're pregnant. You're not married yet. People can do the math. What's happening? The judgment that came. And many people would be like, oh, yeah, it's obvious. Like, of course, someone can't get pregnant without sleeping together. The judgment was coming from an outsider looking in. He grew up in, he was born in Bethlehem, but grew up in Nazareth. And what was said about Nazareth was that nothing good could come out of Nazareth. Where do you think that saying originated? Do you think God said that about Nazareth? So if it's not God, who is it? <laughs> Obviously, our enemy, the devil, he's perpetrating lies. So incredible to me that all of a sudden this little saying starts to happen around the time when Jesus is born Nothing good can come out of Nazareth, <laughs> just causing this blanket of a blinder over people so that when Jesus grows up and they're like, he's from Nazareth, they're offended. <laughs> Once again, okay, now think about this. These are just a couple I thought of. His first miracle. What was Jesus' first miracle? Water into wine, right? But think about it. He turned water into wine for people who were already drunk. How offensive is that? They were at a wedding and they were drunk and they were going to pull out the last bit of wine, which is usually the least uh, expensive because they're already drunk. They don't taste the difference. That's why. Okay, so these people are drunk. Jesus goes in. His first miracle is to provide more alcohol for those who are already drunk. That's offensive to the religious spirit. Even today, people, you know, we read that miracle, and, and I don't know how you get around that. It's offensive. But he was following what the Father did. It was foreshadowing something that was to come. What controversy. Many times he healed on the Sabbath day. That was, we can't understand that because we don't live under that law. We didn't grow up under that. But for the Jews at the time, that was extremely offensive. For the religious, for him to heal and do a miracle or a work on the Sabbath day. I mean, you saw it. They tried to kill him when he would do that. Literally, so much anger came up from the inside. And I think this is just, this, the scripture doesn't say this, but just a thought from myself. I could imagine that the religious were very jealous of Jesus because he was so loving and he was healing and doing signs and wonders and crowds were following him everywhere and it took away from their fame, which is what they were after. The Bible doesn't say that, but that, I mean, it seems kind of clear to me that the Pharisees were after fame, being esteemed by people, and Jesus came lowly 
and he took the crowds away. And so they're jealous, and that jealousy is stirring up anger, offense. It's a religious mindset, and then they judge him unrighteously, become offended. And in that day, they were accusing the son of the living God. Crazy. We think we would never do that, but we do it all the time, and we do it with each other. It's the same exact thing. It's the same thing. We're the body of Christ. We're supposed to be loving each other so deeply. We're supposed to have each other's back, right? When someone comes against my family, no way. I have their back. I'm going to say, no way. They, they, these are all the great, wonderful things about them. We are surrounding them. These people are my family. But we don't do that oftentimes, like myself. I was such a judger of everybody. I didn't have anybody's back <laughs> except for my own. And it was because I didn't understand. I wasn't seeing rightly. I was offended by things that didn't make sense to me that were too supernatural. The, and just to close out some here, just a few more thoughts. There were many who followed Jesus for different reasons. Some followed him simply to judge him, to find fault in him and accuse him. Those were the religious. They followed Jesus to do that. They found out where he was going, and they tried to go with him to find him, to catch him. They were sneaky. They were trying to come against him. There were those that followed Jesus out of curiosity. They were wondering, heard something about him. Think about the woman at the well. She went to testify to a whole city, and they were all curious. None of them had experienced him, but they went out to follow him because of her testimony. Others followed him out of hunger, desperation, and no other place to go. Think about this for a minute. He, how many disciples did Jesus have? Well, no, how many of his disciples? When we talk about Jesus' disciples, how many were there? Twelve. And then we hear about him sending out a group of people. How many were there? Seventy. Out of thousands of people, thousands and thousands of people that Jesus did signs, wonders, and miracles, he had 12 people only that followed him everywhere he went, 70 that followed him to another level where he sent them out in twos. That's 82 people. 82 out of thousands upon thousands upon thousands. I mean, just think of the, the breaking of the bread, the multiplication. He did that twice to crowds of 5,000 men, not counting women and children. How many of those people got up and said, I must follow this man? Well, we don't hear about many. And then those that claimed they wanted to follow him, Again, it's that appearance thing. It's very shallow. But they had every excuse in the book for not now. And Jesus exposed that by not catering to them. And he spoke di directly to them. He said, Master, I want to follow you, but let me go bury my father first. And what did Jesus say to him? Let the dead bury the dead. <laughs> How offensive is that? He was exposing. It's not that he didn't think this person wanted to follow him. He knew the heart. And he was exposing what was in the heart. Do you want to follow me or do you not? Some claim they want to follow him, but don't really want to follow him. Don't really want to have to give up what it would take to follow him. That's why there was such a small group of people. 
Not many actually want to go there with him. And our value systems and priorities were exposed. They were exposed around John and Jesus because John and Jesus were 100% given. <laughs> and I don't know about you, when I'm around somebody who's like 150% in and they're like running so hard, my value systems start to get exposed just by being around them. They don't even have to say anything to me. I'm like, oh. I can feel that my priority is not quite as much as theirs. And it's not, a, it's not a bad comparison or like out of jealousy. It's what it does. When someone is given like Jesus and John their entire life or their disciples, it naturally exposes in us where our offense might be or where our walls might be or our barriers. So I just want to encourage everyone today, as you even just read through those, why are we following Jesus? What kind of followers are we? Because he came into this world to break us free from the religious spirit so we could be 100% given. And I can tell you that there is no greater joy than giving your full life to the Lord and letting every choice just be given to him. God, what do you want me to do today? What do you want me to do with my life? How can I be obedient to you every step of the way? It's hard at times, yeah. I mean, there were times I was sleeping on cement floors in Haiti, getting no sleep, having cockroaches in my hair, and tarantulas crawling on my tent, waking up on, with it on top of my thing. Like that's, you're eating once a day and it's 100 degrees every day. Okay, that's not easy. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm saying it produces the greatest joy <laughs> you'll ever experience in your life. There were times where I was so tired, so hungry, so done, but I said, you know what? Oh, by the grace of God, I'm giving my yes, and it has produced the greatest joy of my life. It has given me so much love for the Lord, love for the lost, and freedom. And that's why it's like when I stand up here and I'm talking about these things and like he wants to break the religious spirit and get offense out. I say it with a smile on my face because he wants to do it for us. And I know from experience when we come out of that, there's the greatest joy and freedom and liberty and life and energy and motivation that we'll ever experience from giving ourselves fully to him. And this is what Jesus came to do. That's what we're celebrating in Christmas. It's not like, oh yeah, Jesus was born, he's in a manger, who? No, he's like breaking tr religious traditions and highlighting a fence and shining a light on it and exposing sin. Like these are intense things, but he did it because of his love so that we could be free and really encounter him. And this is where we're going as a community, is we're preparing for a move of God. That's why we keep talking about these things. Because when we know, when, when the move comes, we want everybody to be ready and nobody in this family to be offended and to be found in a wrong place as an observer on the outside judging unrighteously what's happening. We want everybody as participators in the move of God, fully engaged, receiving everything from the Father and letting it flow from their lives. And, and we believe that that's going to explode in the region. The harvest is going to come in and we get to explode on them because we're participators, not observers, judging them for coming in or however they come in. We don't know who God's going to bring us. 
He might bring us crazy, wacko cra uh, people falling on the ground, yelling in tongues. If that's what he brings us, will we reject it? Will we be too offended by what it looks like that we say, no, sorry, not here. I, I, you know what, for me, no way. Fling wide the doors. If it's messy, it's messy, and we'll get, we'll get where we need to go. The Holy Spirit's faithful. He'll help us. He'll help us no matter what it looks like. If it's a bunch of drug addicts coming in, fling wide the doors. If it's women who prostitute themselves, fling wide the doors. We want them all in. We want them here. If it's people throwing up demons on the carpet like has been prophesied over this building, bring them on, God. We want to see freedom. We want to see deliverance. Whatever God has in store, we've got to be ready for so uh, the, the encouragement over the past six weeks is, is saying, God, is there anything in me? Is there any offense in me? Have I judged unrighteously? Have I judged anyone in my family, in the church family, unrighteously? Have I judged any bit of your movement unrighteously? And if I have, I repent of it. I want to throw that down. I don't want it to hinder me from seeing you rightly or seeing when you come. It's simple. It's, it's simple. He's made it simple for us because he wants to do it. So I just want to encourage everybody. Um, we're going to take communion together today. Um, but I want to encourage everybody to.